Chapter Two of the Life and Adventures of Venture. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Life and Adventures of Venture by Venture Smith. Chapter Two. Containing an account of his life from the time of his leaving Africa to that of his becoming free. After all the business was ended on the coast of Africa, the ship sailed from thence to Barbados. After an ordinary passage, except great mortality from smallpox, which broke out on board, we arrived at the island of Barbados. But when we reached it, there were found out of the two hundred and sixty that sailed from Africa, not more than two hundred alive. These were all sold, except for myself and three more, to the planters there. The vessel then sailed for Rhode Island, and arrived there after a comfortable passage. Here my master sent me to live with one of his sisters, until he could carry me to Fisher's Island, the place of his residence. I had then completed my eighth year. After staying with his sister some time, I was taken to my master's place to live. When we arrived at Narragansett, my master went ashore in order to return a part of the way by land, and gave me the charge of the keys of his trunks on board the vessel and charged me not to deliver them up to anybody, not even to his father, without his orders. To his directions I promised faithfully to conform. When I arrived with my master's articles at his house, my master's father asked me for his son's keys, as he wanted to see what his trunks contained. I told him that my master entrusted me with the care of them until he should return, and that I had given him my word to be faithful to the trust, and could not therefore give him or any other person the keys without my master's directions. He insisted that I should deliver him the keys, threatening to punish me if I did not. But I let him know that he should not have them say what he would. He then laid aside trying to get them. But notwithstanding he appeared to give up trying to obtain them from me, yet I mistrusted that he would take some time when I was off my guard, either in the daytime or at night, to get them. Therefore I slung them around my neck, and in the day concealed them in my bosom, and at night I always lay with them under me, that no person might take them from me without being apprised of it. Thus I kept the keys from everybody until my master came home. When he returned he asked where Venture was. As I was then within hearing, I came, said, Here, sir, at your service. He asked me for his keys, and I immediately took them off my neck and reached them out to him. He took them, stroked my hair, and commended me, saying in presence of his father that his young venture was so faithful that he would never have been able to have taken the keys from him but by violence, that he should not fear to trust him with his whole fortune, for that he had been in his native place so habituated to keeping his word that he would sacrifice even his life to maintain it. The first of the time of living at my master's own place I was pretty much employed in the house at carding wool and other household business. In this situation I continued for some years, after which my master put me to work out of doors. After many proofs of my faithfulness and honesty my master began to put great confidence in me. My behavior to him had as yet been submissive and obedient. I then began to have hard tasks imposed on me. Some of these were to pound four bushels of ears of corn every night in a barrel for the poultry, or to be rigorously punished. At other seasons of the year I had to card wool until a very late hour. These tasks I had to perform when I was about nine years old. 
Some time after I had another difficulty and oppression which was greater than any I had ever experienced since I came into this country. This was to serve two masters. James Mumford, my master's son, when his father had gone from home in the morning, and given me a stint to perform that day, would order me to do this and that business different from what my master directed me. One day in particular, the authority which my master's son had set up, had like to have produced melancholy effects, for my master having set me off my business to perform that day, and then left me to perform it, his son came up to me in the course of the day, big with authority, and commanded me very arrogantly to quit my present business and go directly about what he should order me. I replied to him that my master had given me so much to perform that day, and that I must therefore faithfully complete it in that time. He then broke out in a great rage, snatched a pitchfork, and went to lay me over the head therewith. But I as soon got another and defended myself with it, or otherwise he might have murdered me in his outrage. He immediately called some people who were hearing at work for him, and ordered them to take his hair-rope and come and bind me with it. They all tried to bind me, but in vain, though there were three assistants in number. My upstart master then desisted, put his pocket-handkerchief before his eyes, and went home with a design to tell his mother of the struggle with young Venture. He told her that their young Venture had become so stubborn that he could not control him, and asked her what he should do with him. In the meantime I recovered my temper, voluntarily caused myself to be bound by the same men who tried in vain before, and carried before my young master that he might do what he pleased with me. He took me to a gallows made for the purpose of hanging cattle on, and suspended me on it. Afterwards he ordered one of his hands to go to the peach-orchard, and cut him three dozens of whips to punish me with. These were brought to him, and that was all that was done with them, as I was released, and went to work after hanging on the gallows about an hour. After I lived with my master thirteen years, being then about twenty-two years old, I married Meg, a slave of his, who was about my age. My master owned a certain Irishman, named Hetty, who about that time formed a plan of secretly leaving his master. After he had long had this plan in meditation, he suggested it to me. At first I cast a deaf ear on it, and rebuked Hetty for harboring in his mind such a rash undertaking. But after he had persuaded and much enchanted me with the prospect of gaining my freedom with such a method, I at length agreed to accompany him. Hetty next inveigled two of his fellow-servants to accompany us. The place to which we designed to go was the Mississippi. Our next business was to lay in a sufficient store of provisions for our voyage. We privately collected out of our master's store six great old cheeses, two firkins of butter, and one whole batch of new bread. When we had gathered all our own clothes and some more, we took them all about midnight, and went to the waterside. We stole our master's boat, embarked, then directed our course for the Mississippi River. We mutually confederated not to betray or desert one another on pain of death. We first steered our course for Montauk Point, the east end of Long Island. After our arrival there we landed, and Hetty and I made an incursion into the island after fresh water, while our two comrades were left at a little distance from the boat, employed at cooking. When Hetty and I had sought some time for water, he returned to our companions, 
and I continued on looking for my object. When Hetty had performed his business with our companions, who were engaged in cooking, he went directly to the boat, stole all the clothes in it, and then travelled away for East Hampton, as I was informed. I returned to my fellows not long after. They informed me that our clothes were stolen, but could not determine who was the thief, yet they suspected Hetty as he was missing. After reproving my two comrades for not taking care of our things which were in the boat, I advertised Hetty and sent two men in search of him. They pursued and overtook him at Southampton, and returned him to the boat. I then thought it might afford some chance for my freedom, or at least a palliation for my running away, to return Hetty immediately to his master, and inform him that I was induced to go away by Hetty's address. Accordingly, I set off with him and the rest of my companions for our masters, and arrived there without any difficulty. I informed my master that Hetty was the ringleader of our revolt, and that he had used us ill. He immediately put Hetty into custody, and myself and companions were well received, and went to work as usual. Not a long time passed after that before Hetty was sent by my master to New London jail. At the close of that year I was sold to a Thomas Stanton, and had to be separated from my wife and one daughter, who was about one month old. He resided at Stonington Point. To this place I brought with me from my last masters two Johans, three old Spanish dollars, and two thousand of coppers, besides five pounds of my wife's money. This money I got by cleaning gentlemen's shoes and drawing boots, by catching muskrats and minks, raising potatoes and carrots, etc., and by fishing in the night and at odd spells. All this money amounting to near twenty-one pounds York currency, my master's brother, Robert Stanton, hired of me, for which he gave me his note. About one year and a half after that time, my master purchased my wife and her child, for seven hundred pounds old tenor. One time my master sent me two miles after a barrel of molasses, and ordered me to carry it on my shoulders. I made out to carry it all the way to my master's house. When I lived with Captain George Mumford, only to try my strength, I took up on my knees a tierce of salt containing seven bushels, and carried it two or three rods. Of this fact there are several eye-witnesses now living. Towards the close of the time that I resided with this master, I had a falling out with my mistress. This happened one time when my master was gone to Long Island a-gunning. At first the quarrel began between my wife and her mistress. I was then at work in the barn, and hearing a racket in the house, induced me to run there and see what had broken out. When I entered the house I found my mistress in a violent passion with my wife, for what she informed me was a mere trifle. Such a small affair that I forbear to put my mistress to the shame of having it known. I earnestly requested my wife to beg pardon of her mistress, for the sake of peace, even if she had given no just occasion for offence. But whilst I was thus saying, my mistress turned the blows which she was repeating on my wife to me. She took down her horsewhip, and while she was glutting her fury with it, I reached out my great black hand, raised it up, and received the blows of the whip on it, which were designed for my head. Then I immediately committed the whip to the devouring fire. When my master returned from the island, his wife told him of the affair, but for the present he seemed to take no notice of it, and mentioned not a word of it to me. 
Some days after his return, in the morning as I was putting on a log in the fireplace, not suspecting harm from any one, I received a most violent stroke on the crown of my head with a club two feet long and as large around as a chair-post. This blow very badly wounded my head, and the scar of it remains to this day. The first blow made me have my wits about me, as you may suppose, for as soon as he went to renew it, I snatched the club out of his hands and dragged him out of the door. He then sent for his brother to come and assist him, but I presently left my master, took the club he wounded me with, carried it to a neighboring justice of the peace, and complained of my master. He finally advised me to return to my master, and live contented with him until he abused me again, and then complain. I consented to do accordingly, but before I set out for my master's, up he come, and his brother Robert after me. The justice improved this convenient opportunity to caution my master. He asked him for what he treated his slave thus hastily and unjustly, and told him what would be the consequence if he continued the same treatment towards me. After the justice had ended his discourse with my master, he and his brother set out with me for home, one before and the other behind me. When they had come to a by-place, they both dismounted their respective horses, and fell to beating me with great violence. I became enraged at this, and immediately turned them both under me, laid one of them across the other, and stamped both with my feet what I would. This occasioned my master's brother to advise him to put me off. A short time after this I was taken by a constable and two men. They carried me to a blacksmith's shop, and had me handcuffed. When I returned home my mistress inquired much of her waiters whether Venture was handcuffed. When she was informed that I was, she appeared to be very contented, and was much transported with the news. In the midst of all this content and joy, I presented myself before my mistress, shewed her my handcuffs, and gave her thanks for my gold rings. For this my master commanded a negro of his to fetch him a large ox-chain. This my master locked on my legs with two padlocks. I continued to wear the chain peaceably for two or three days, when my master asked me with contemptuous hard names whether I had not better be freed from my chains and go to work. I answered him no. Well then, said he, I will send you to the West Indies, or banish you, for I am resolved not to keep you. I answered him, I cross the waters to come here, and I am willing to cross them to return. For a day or two after this not any one said much to me, until one Hempstead miner of Stonington asked me if I would live with him. I answered him that I would. He then requested me to make myself discontented, and to appear as unreconciled to my master as I could before that he bargained with him for me, and that in return he would give me a good chance to gain my freedom when I came to live with him. I did as he requested me. Not long after Hempstead Minor purchased me of my master for fifty-six pounds lawful. He took the chain and padlocks off me immediately after. It may here be remembered that I related a few pages back that I hired out a sum of money to Mr. Robert Stanton, and took his note for it. In the fray between my master Stanton and myself, he broke open my chest containing his brother's note to me, and destroyed it. Immediately after my present master bought me, he determined to sell me at Hartford. As soon as I became apprised of it, I bethought myself that I would secure a certain sum of money which lay by me, safer than to hire it out to Stanton. 
Accordingly, I buried it in the earth, a little distance from Thomas Stanton's, in the road over which he passed daily. A short time after, my master carried me to Hartford, and first proposed to sell me to one William Hooker of that place. Hooker asked whether I would go to the German flats with him. I answered, No. He said I should, if not by fair means, I should by foul. If you will go by no other measures, I will tie you down in my sleigh. I replied to him, that if he carried me in that manner, no person would purchase me, for it would be thought that he had a murderer for sale. After this he tried no more, and said he would not have me as a gift. My master next offered me to Daniel Edwards, Esquire, of Hartford, for sale, but not purchasing me, my master pawned me to him for ten pounds, and returned to Stonington. After some trial of my honesty, Mr. Edwards placed considerable trust and confidence in me. He put me to serve as his cup-bearer and waiter. When there was company at his house, he would send me into his cellar and other parts of his house to fetch wine and other articles occasionally for them. When I had been with him for some time, he asked me why my master wished to part with such an honest negro, and why he did not keep me himself. I replied that I could not give him the reason unless it was to convert me into cash and speculate with me as with other commodities. I hope he can never justly say it was on account of my ill conduct that he did not keep me himself. Mr. Edwards told me that he should be very willing to keep me himself, and that he would never let me go from him to live, if it was not unreasonable and inconvenient for me to be parted from my wife and children. Therefore he would furnish me with a horse to return to Stonington, if I had a mind for it. As Miner did not appear to redeem me, I went, and called at my old master Stanton's first to see my wife, who was then owned by him. As my old master appeared much ruffled at my being there, I left my wife before I had spent considerable time with her, and went to Colonel O. Smith's. Miner had not as yet wholly settled with Stanton for me, and had before my return from Hartford given Colonel Smith a bill of sale for me. These men once met to determine which of them should hold me, and upon my expressing a desire to be owned by Colonel Smith, and upon my master's settling the remainder of the money which was due Stanton for me, it was agreed that I should live with Colonel Smith. This was the third time of my being sold, and I was then thirty-one years old. As I never had an opportunity of redeeming myself whilst I was owned by Minor, though he promised to give me a chance, I was then very ambitious of obtaining it. I asked my master one time if he would consent to have me purchase my freedom. He replied that he would. I was then very happy, knowing that I was at that time able to pay part of the purchase money, by means of the money which I sometime since buried. This I took out of the earth and tendered to my master, having previously engaged a free negro man to take his security for it as I was the property of my master, and therefore could not safely take his obligation myself. What was wanted in redeeming myself my master agreed to wait on me for, until I could procure it for him. I still continued to work for Colonel Smith. There was continually some interest accruing on my master's note to my friend, the free negro man above named, which I received and with some besides which I got by fishing, I laid out in land adjoining to my old master Stanton's. 
by cultivating this land with the greatest diligence and economy, at times when my master did not require my labour, in two years I laid up ten pounds. This my friend tendered to my master for myself, and received his note for it. Being encouraged by the success which I had met in redeeming myself, I again solicited my master for a further chance of completing it. The chance for which I solicited him was that of going out to work the ensuing winter. He agreed to this on condition that I would give him one quarter of my earnings. On these terms I worked the following winter, and earned four pounds sixteen shillings, one quarter of which went to my master for the privilege, and the rest was paid him on my own account. This added to the other payments made up forty-four pounds, eight shillings, which I had paid on my own account. I was then about thirty-five years old. The next summer I again desired he would give me a chance of going out to work, but he refused, and answered that he must have my labour this summer, as he did not have it the past winter. I replied that I considered it as hard that I could not have a chance to work out when the season became advantageous, and that I must only be permitted to hire myself out in the poorest season of the year. He asked me, after this, what I would give for the privilege per month. I replied that I would leave it wholly with his own generosity to determine what I should return him a month. Well, then, said he, if so, two pounds a month. I answered him that if that was the least he would take, I would be contented. Accordingly, I hired myself out at Fisher's Island, and earned twenty pounds, thirteen pounds six shillings of which my master drew for the privilege, and the remainder I paid him for my freedom. This made fifty-one pounds two shillings which I paid him. In October following I went and wrought six months at Long Island. In that six months' time I cut and corded four hundred cords of wood, besides threshing out seventy-five bushels of grain, and received my wages down only twenty pounds, which left remaining a larger sum. Whilst I was out that time I took upon my wages only one pair of shoes. At night I lay upon the hearth, with one coverlet over, and another under me. I returned to my master, and gave him what I received on my six months' labour. This left only thirteen pounds eighteen shillings to make up the full sum for my redemption. My master liberated me, saying I might pay what was behind if I could ever make it convenient, otherwise it would be well. The amount of the money which I had paid my master towards redeeming my time was seventy-one pounds two shillings. The reason of my master for asking such an unreasonable price was, he said, to secure himself in case I should ever come to want. Being thirty-six years old, I left Colonel Smith once for all. I had already been sold three different times, made considerable money with seemingly nothing to derive it from, been cheated out of a large sum of money, lost much by misfortunes, and paid an enormous sum for my freedom. End of chapter 2 Recording by Bill Borst